occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hello, happy Halloween, everyone. I'm Kate. I'm Abby. Today I'm going to be telling you about the Conjuring story, um, the real-life Conjuring, it's the Perrin family. And I'm going to be telling you about the Yorkshire Ripper. Before we get started, I'm just going to have a shameless self-promo. Uh, don't forget to follow us at Myths Magic Pod for Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we post photos, cool content, you should definitely go. Yeah, anything we talk about, anything we post about on there, so you should go check us out on there. Yeah. Give us a like, give us a support. Yeah, likes on uh, YouTube and leave us a review on iTunes and yeah, just stuff like that. Street as well. Yeah, it's weird because this is the first one where we actually have listeners. Yeah, this is the first one we've properly done after after launch. Yeah, it's weird. There are lots of people listening, which is strange <laughs> and fun. Fun. Welcome everyone. It's really cool. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It is cool. Yeah, it's fun and it's cool. So uh, I'm just gonna plug Cannabidal Farms right now. Is that okay? Go ahead. Okay, so if you are like me and you have any sort of anxiety or stress or physical pains, uh, then you should consider using CBD oil. It is natural, it's lab tested, it's legal, at least in the UK it's legal. Please check, make sure it's legal before you go and try it anywhere else. Um, Or don't. No, you should do that. (laughs) And if you use the code MythsMagicPod at cannabidalfarm.com, I'll put it in any Instagram and Twitter post and anything like that, then you can get 5% off your order and that would help us out, it'll help you out and it will be good all around. So have a great time. Have a great time. You should try the syrups. They're really delicious. I Comes have a cherry one. Many good flavors. Many good flavors. Love yeah. that. Okay, so do you want to... You want to go first? As always. Yeah, you can go first if you want this time. No. Why change a good thing? <laughs> Why change what already works? Don't fix what ain't broke. Okay, so I'm going to be talking about the conjuring story. Sorry, my pop is just... I've had a bit of a minute. The conjuring story, which is... 2013 film i believe 2013 i think it was quite good so the story is based off of a real life event of the Perrin family it was a quite good film i quite enjoyed it um yeah i liked it i like the hide and seek clap it was good it was really scary it was the first film the first horror film i saw in cinemas so i had some nightmares after that yeah god i (laughs) I think i was like 15 16 maybe they let you in what age rating is that? It's a 15. Oh my god. Yeah, they said, they ID'd some of my friends and they were like, we don't have ID, we're 15. So then he just kind of asked us like, are you all 15? And I was like, yeah. And they just let us in. Fair enough, yeah. I don't really I'm understand not... why 15s are a thing. Like, I get it, but equally. You can't you really ID, ID someone for yeah. a 15. Unless yeah. you're taking your passport. But then what if you're just having a mooch around town, you want to go see a film? Yeah. You're not going to have your passport. Sorry, I interrupted okay. immediately. Okay. This is the podcast about passports and cinema. This is the Kate podcast where I talk about whatever the fuck I want to because no one can stop me. <laughs> anyway, so the film was created by looking at the original case files, Ed and Lorraine. Ed. Oh my God. Ed and Lorraine Warren. <laughs> Who? <laughs> um, Lorraine also was a consultant on the film and she claims that she didn't let the directors take any more dramatic license than was necessary. So it's realistic to the, the true story. polar opposite of the Amityville horror then. Yeah. Throwback. She was actually there and she was like, I don't want this to be blown out. 
of promotion, which is quite good because I think if you stick to a real story that was already scary, you can make a scary film. Definitely. The opposite of what they did with Annabelle. Oh God! <laughs> we watched that for the first time yesterday, and it's um, it's hot. It's really it's so it's boring. It's definitely something. Just don't bother. <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, so I actually wrote my sources down for this episode. Oh my, yeah. who are you? What have I you done with Abby? Uh, episode four, man, I'm changed. <laughs> Finally, uh, people are listening. She I, bothers. <laughs> <laughs> now that I know that we have audience members, I actually care. I'm joking. <laughs> this I is used, all for you. I used historycollection.co, uh, historyversushollywood.com, allthatsinteresting.com, and wikipedia, and ranker.com. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we also talked about the Warrens in our Amityville episode. Holla holla, go check it out. Episode yeah. two. Um, but I'm going to give you more information about them in today's episode. I get what you're saying. You're saying I did a mediocre job. Wasn't no. good enough. <laughs> so Ed Warren and Lorraine Warren were American paranormal investigators. And Lorraine died this year, actually. I think Edward died in 2006, I believe. full name, Ed? Edward. I've written Edward in my notes. <laughs> Edward. Um, he was a World War II Navy veteran and former police officer, and he ended up teaching himself demonology to become an author and lecturer. Well, when you're bored, you need a hobby. Yeah. Uh, Lorraine was a clairvoyant, and she was a light trans medium, and they worked closely together on their investigations. Uh, they have quite a few notable investigations, and I will probably cover them in more episodes because they're quite fascinating, whether you believe them or not as people. They got up to a lot, for sure. They did do a lot of famous things that are films now, which is quite cool. Um, they did Annabelle, Parent Family, Amityville. They did like a werewolf case at one point. Nice. A lot of stuff. Um, but I'm just going to cover the Parent Family, which is the Conjuring story. Is that Perrin? Perrin. P-E-R-R-O-N. Oh, okay. Perrin. <laughs> you don't have to say it so slowly. Perrin. Perrin. Yeah, yeah so that's the family in The Conjuring. I can't remember if they actually used the real names of the characters in the film, but, I mean, probably. We did try and watch it, by the way, before this podcast. But it's not on any streaming service unless you pay extra, and I'm yeah. not going to pay extra for already paying for streaming services. Well, especially... And by paying, I mean using my sister's Netflix account. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I'm using my brother's Netflix or my mom's Amazon. So. Or your mom's Sky. Like... Yeah. God. I'm not paying an extra £3.49 to watch The Conjuring. I'll just read about it. I'm a real freeloader. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, so the investigation took place in 1971, when the Warrens investigated a house in Rhode Island after the family moved in. When the parents moved in, the neighbours gave them a piece of advice. They said, For the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. Cool. As the house was the site of many violent acts, including suicide, murders and drownings. Bougie. At that point, you move up. <laughs> I'm just saying. At that point, you pack up your stuff before it's in the house, and you just leave. Yeah, right. It's like when... Uh, sorry that I'm drawing so many parallels already, but in the Amityville Horror, where the priest was immediately like, don't use that as a fucking bedroom, man. Like, I'm off. If I can't use a room in my house, or if I have to keep all the lights on, imagine that electricity bill. How big is the house? The house... I don't know, normal size? I don't know the scale of American houses in comparison to other American houses, but there's a photo of it on Instagram. It's not as big as the one that was in the Hollywood film. Oh, no, the Hollywood film like really blew it up, made it look a lot a lot more... Blew um, it up. A lot scarier from the outside than it actually was. Mm. It just looks like a regular house. So, shortly Are after... Okay, <laughs> shortly after uh, the neighbours gave him that warning, 
they started experiencing unusual and scary events. Like the electricity bill. Yeah, like the electricity bill. (laughs) Cynthia Perrin, um, in an interview, said that there were lots of small things that happened that no one talked about until it was too late. Cynthia is, um, she's called Cindy in the film, I think, or that's who at least she was referred to when she was a child, because she was a kid when this was happening. Oh, okay. She's one of the children. She said How it many first started. Five? You're making it up. You want to find out? I have a photo of them on my phone. You are absolutely lying. <laughs> You're like, um, seven. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were octopus. There were five children. Right, okay. There were five children. <laughs> and I was right. Uh, so she said it first started when they moved, when things were moved around in different places to where she'd left them. So she put her toys under a bed and around the room. And then, like, this is the, the ghost would move them, like, the spirit would move them. And so she'd say, like, to her sisters, like, what have you done to my toys? And they'd say, why would we mess with your toys, Cindy? Like, wh- why would we do that? Because they're sisters. That's the biggest lie. That wasn't a ghost. That wasn't <laughs> her sisters. I can promise you that. Sisters are mean. They would hear the sound of something scraping against the kettle in the kitchen or find small piles of dirt on a newly cleaned floor. Did they have a dog? I don't know. <laughs> it's the guinea pig. It gets scarier. Okay. At first, the children began to notice spirits around the house. But they felt they were benevolent, so they didn't feel any threat from the spirits. They were just like, they're a ghost and that's fine. You know, kids. <laughs> mm, yeah, okay. A lot of kids aren't scared of ghosts. As I've said before, if my kid starts making friends with ghosts, they are out of there. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Bye. All five of them claim that the initial entities of the house acted as babysitters. They would tuck them into bed and kiss them on their foreheads. Oh. Cynthia and Andrea both remember the, the smell of the ghost. Um, Stanky. The same ghost that took them in. Cynthia said, When we first moved into the house for the first two months, there was a woman that came in and kissed me on the forehead every night. And I thought it was my mother. And then Andrea finished the sentence by saying, Mum smelt like ivory soap and the spirit smelt like flowers and fruit. So it wasn't... It wasn't the mum. Right. A ghost was tucking her into bed and giving him a kiss on the forehead. Maybe she wore her evening perfume then. (laughs) (laughs) To tuck my children to bed, I smell like fruit. (laughs) Gotta go do a quick change before kissing the kids on their head. So the children naturally didn't really think anything of it. They weren't, like, threatened. They were just, like, going out, enjoying their normal day, and then they'd come back and have some supernatural events, and they just lived on in their new farm. However, the parents were Wait, it was a farm? It was just a farmhouse, yeah. The parents were aware something more sinister was going on inside their house, as it didn't take too long for evil spirits to sow themselves. So the dad, father, father, the The dad, father. (laughs) I said dad, but I wrote father. Is your phone on loud? No. That was like your computer. Oh yeah, it's my computer. You're disrupting this fine podcast on Halloween. Spooky. Roger would open the door and be overwhelmed by a putrefying smell. The children did not know how to talk to their mother about the events, but something was beginning to torment her. <laughs> Sorry, all I can think about is you in episode two going, Roger the rat. <laughs> it haunts the me. The father, Roger the rat. Would open the door. <laughs> yeah, so he would come home and he would smell like rotting flesh um, and <laughs> the mum was beginning to be tormented by ghosts. Not cool. So the benevolent ghosts the children would come home to were entirely replaced by evil spirits. 
Oh. One day, Cindy said to Andrew that a disembodied voice was telling her about seven bodies that were buried in the wall. Caroline, I think she's the mother, allegedly researched the history of the house and discovered that it had been in the same family for eight generations and that many of them had died under mysterious circumstances. Several children had drowned in a nearby creek, one murdered, and others hanged themselves in the attic. That's not that, like, mysterious. I mean, it's not very nice. Oh, no, it's not. I wouldn't want to live there, but I mean, it's not like, um... Like, it's not, like, in Sinister when, like, the youngest child, like, slaughtered the entire family, is it? It's just a lot of depressed people. That's a spoiler. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> I mean, the film came out in, like, what, 2012? So if you haven't seen it by now, you're a bit slow, aren't you? <laughs> I watched it for the first time yesterday. True, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Awful. So, yeah, this is not very nice. The family <laughs> claim... What? It's just you buffering, I'm sorry. The family claim that at 5.15 in the morning, the overwhelming smell of rotting flesh would waft through the house, awaking them. Andrea also claimed that around this time, the girls were visited by a male ghost who tortured them so badly she refuses to give any details about it. According to Andrea, the family experienced other spirits as well that smelled like rotting flesh and would cause beds to rise off the floor. She also claims that her father would enter the basement and feel a cold presence behind him. So the whole family was suffering with paranormal encounters, but the mother, Caroline, was the most sensitive to the spirits inhabiting the home. She was once awakened by a woman in grey next to the bed moaning, get out, get out, I'll drive you out with death and gloom. That was the neighbour. <laughs> the woman believed this to be the mistress of the house, and she was angry at Caroline for taking that position. Oh. So after consulting with Ed and Lorraine Warren, they concluded this could be the ghost of Bathsheba Thayer. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, I am sorry. <laughs> so there was actually a real person named Bathsheba Sherman, who was then. She, uh, Sherman was a married name, I think. And she lived on the parents' property in the 1800s. She was rumoured to be a Satanist, and there was some evidence that she had been involved with killing a neighbour's infant child by stabbing it in the neck with a knitting needle oh my with goodness. the intention of sacrificing it to Satan. Jesus. But the evidence could not be held up in court. Just get a goat like everyone else. It could be suggested um, that she also had four children, but three of them died at very young ages, which obviously looked a bit fishy on her part. Yeah, especially if she's just gone around stabbing infants. I imagine it wouldn't look great. So Caroline received a mysterious stab wound in her leg that <sighs> seemed similar to a knitting needle wound. So obviously the rain warren was like, Bathsheba's here, and she's taking her knitting needles to the grave and is using them in her hauntings. <laughs> She's what? Why couldn't she have been using the ones around the house? Maybe they didn't knit. <laughs> she took them to her grave. I've had a knitting needle in my leg before. She was at a pin, and you know, like, that you'd sew with. Oh, I had a full knitting needle. Not the whole thing. Oh my goodness. Like, maybe like an inch of it in my knee. My mum was like, is the knitting needle okay? She loves me, I think. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, she, sure. <laughs> she does. She was just making a joke. It wasn't painful because it was at a normal angle. I don't know why I told that story. Anyway... So there are no official photographs of Bathsheba, but there is one photo- photograph from around the same time that she would have been, like, around 70. Um, when was she alive? What kind of time period is this? Well, this is the 70s, so 
if she was about 70. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Before that. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, like, photography wasn't huge before that, was it? It's a, it's a very um, old photo right. that I'm going to talk about now. Okay. So, there is one photo. Um, it's around the same time taken at the house next door. Mm-hmm. And many people use it when referring to Bathsheba as they focus in on one figure in the middle who's wearing a surgical mask. So oh. she's hiding her identity. Oh, However, no. lots of people believe she was just wearing this to protect herself against like influenza, and there's no proof that it's her. But it is, it is a creepy photo, I'll show you. She it. takes her mask off and smiles, and there are just knitting needles where <laughs> teeth should it's be. It's a creepy photograph, but there's no proof that it's, that it's her. I don't want to look. Hang on. It's not that scary. Oh, it's fine. Oh, so that's her, like, next to the horse, then? It could possibly be her. There's no proof that Doesn't it's Doesn't it look like she has three eyes? Okay, you're starting more rumours about this woman. No, it does. Look. Look at the close-up. It totally looks like she has, like... It's just where her, like, eye socket oh, is does, so dark. Yeah. yeah, it does look like she has three eyes. I'm sure she didn't. You can find that photo at Miss Magic Pod. Anyway. <laughs> so... Local law says that Bathsheba was a witch who made a pact with the devil to be granted youthful beauty, but at a high cost. She would be turned to stone upon her death. Various articles state that she died from a bizarre form of paralysis that frightened doctors, or her body turned to literal stone after her death, but there's no real proof of this. Mm -hmm. However, after the family refused to leave the house, Bathsheba is said to have inhabited Caroline's body to horrify them and cause intense bodily harm to their mother. Other people suggest that she did this out of jealousy because she wanted to be beautiful again and loved by Roger. Right. Caroline claims that Bathsheba tormented her, hurt her, and made her think that she was crazy, but she was only really sweet to Roger. Okay. Still, not the best way to win over someone's husband. No. Like, tormenting and hurting the wife. (laughs) I think she was doing it like more of a, like a secret thing, you know, like... Oh, like I'll scratching you... her in the night or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like right. she would wake up to like scratches and stuff. Right. So a family friend actually contacted the Warrens to receive, to relieve the family of torture. Ed and Lorraine were working on other cases nearby, but they decided to just drop that and immediately go and investigate this house. They visited several times to investigate over the 10 years they lived in the house. Why did they live there for so long? They couldn't afford to leave. Jesus. Go back to your mum's. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't leave. At one point, Lorraine conducted a seance when Caroline became possessed by Bathsheba. She was speaking in tongues and levitating in her chair. Andrea claims to have secretly witnessed the scene, saying she thought she was going to pass out. She said, My mother began speaking in a language not of this world, in a voice not of her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. It was just German, Andrea. <laughs> However... While the film portrays Ed Warren as a hero able to perform an exorcism, um, they both said in real life they would never do that as it must be attempted by a Catholic priest. Yeah, I, I, I wondered about that in the film because obviously it's got to be done by sort of a holy figure type. Instead, Roger kicked both of them out because he was worried about Caroline's mental stability and they never actually fixed anything. Yeah, they were just called in by a family friend. They looked at it, they conducted a seance. They were like, there's a demon witch. And then so they got what kicked happened out. to Caroline? She's fine. She just had to live with it for ages. They just had to deal with this demon, yeah. Roger was like, I'm not having you in here. It's making everything worse. So yeah, in addition, the family were forced to live there until 1980 because of financial reasons. 
They weren't able to pay to move house, and by 1980 the Perrin family were able to sell the house, and as soon as it was signed, they immediately moved to Georgia. According to the Perrin family, the curse of Bathsheba continues to haunt them. They were immediately uh, invited to the set of The Conjuring, and they were going to go, but at the last minute, Caroline changed her mind. She was unable to dig up the past. Andrea claims that while her family um, were being interviewed, a wind swept over them, knocking down cameras and lights and anything else around them. Later, when the children returned to the hotel room to meet their mother, they discovered that at the time the wind disturbed them. At the time the wind disturbed them, their mother had fallen and broken her hip. Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so like, there was a lot of wind in an interview, she fell over, cracked her hip, went home. In pain. No. The kids were at the interview. Her mum was at home. The wind oh, happened. Oh, yeah, because yeah, she changed her mind. Them. Right, okay, right. At the time the wind bothered them, her mum broke her hip in a completely different place. It wasn't a wind that, like, knocked her over. I thought, wow. I knew you were going to get confused with that bit. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. So, when how they, visited, they Sorry, how do they know exactly what time it was? Or... Because they were like, this is what time it happened. When and how did she her mum was her? in hospital, so she went to hospital immediately. Oh, uh, okay. And it was the same time that the wind had hit them. I forget that some mums do that. My mum broke her wrist and was just like, let's carry on Christmas shopping. So when they visited the mum in hospital, she said, Bathsheba's curse, she does not want to be exposed. So, some less fun ideas. There's no actual proof that Bathsheba was the one haunting them. It was based upon assumptions from Lorraine Warren. There's no proof that Bathsheba was a witch or a Satanist. It was very common to accuse people of witchcraft at this time. Mm -hmm. Children tended to die at younger ages around this time also, so there's no proof that she was actually a child killer. Yeah, especially if she was wearing a medical mask in that photo, then it's kind of, you know, obviously there was something going around. Um, And the paralysis that killed her could could have very likely been a stroke that doctors couldn't understand at the time. And she was buried next to her husband and her children. It could have been anything. It could have yeah. been like MS or... Local law made her evil, basically, like the rumours. I mean, it totally could have been her. She could have been an evil witch. But there's no proof that she wasn't just a woman who had a stroke and was accused of witchcraft. Yeah, or like, yeah, if she did have like a an underlying illness, like, like I said, MS, then like maybe she was villainized for it. It's like how in Hollywood people with disfigurements are kind of scarier you know what i mean because it's easier to to do that to them but no it's a it's a cool story it's interesting i didn't know that it was um legit that it happened before yeah it was quite um quite similar to the film i think as well the story besides the whole Adam lorraine warren being heroes yeah because they didn't really do much although i think that they're fascinating and they probably are legit to an extent they didn't actually do much to solve the problems. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, there was a similar uh, story that I found on one of the articles I was reading. Well, it's similar as in like it's a creepy ghost story, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, it's the Enfield Haunting. It's a, um, a UK one. All right. It's only very short, so I'm going to read that for Patreon if you're interested in. Speaking of Patreon, Patreon, why don't you head over to Patreon, donate whatever you can. Take money from your friends for driving them everywhere in the car. Take petrol money, because I never did, and I regretted it. Yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can search us, Miss Magic and Murder, and we got some cool tiers that you can be part of. And if you'd like to just give us like a, a one-time donation to show your support, but you know you don't want to commit to 
joining a club, then that's absolutely fine. You can go to our website, mythsmagicandmurder.weebly.com and you can click the link to buy us a coffee there. And if you buy us one coffee, then that's fine. We'll just share it. Don't worry. We will. We'll get two straws. Yep. Sadly, chug. <laughs> get two. No, don't. Just get... Yeah, if you want to donate, donate, but don't feel forced to. It's just, just nice to see that people enjoy what we're saying, want us to continue, you know. Any support is nice, even if it's just a page like or a retweet or something. A share. Give us yeah. a review on iTunes, etc. Yeah, it doesn't have to be monetary. Although on Patreon, there are lots of different tiers. Um, things like handwritten letters from us, thank you, shout outs. You get to join a Discord. Um so yeah definitely go over there and have a little look if you are interested and if you have any cash to spare yeah well that's my story so on to the next on to a very sad and depressing one. Oh joy <laughs> i'm talking about the yorkshire ripper like i said uh so for sources i used uh wikipedia www.yorkshireripper.com forward slash the hyphen story there used to be just a yorkshireripper.com website but they've changed it so that one will take you through it's got so much information um it deals with a, co- a possible cover-up theory conspiracy thing that i haven't gone into in this but i'll mention it briefly uh used murderpedia uh there was um articles from the telegraph daily mail again which i hate using but here we are right so let me set the scene. 1969, Bradford, there were attacks. A sex worker was attacked. So online, I sorry, on Wikipedia, it says prostitute. Um, I'm aware that that isn't the correct term anymore. So I've just used sex, work, sex worker. I'm sorry if I end up offending anyone, but that is what I mean in case you don't know what that is. Sex worker was attacked by a man who was looking for a woman who had tricked him out of money. Uh, She was followed into a garage and hit over the head by a stone in a sock. The force of the impact tore the toe off of the sock, rendering the weapon useless because the stone fell out. So he went back home. He just kind of legged it. The police found him because the woman noted his number plate, but he wasn't charged because she didn't want to press charges because she was a sex worker who were hated on all the time anyway um and her husband was already in jail so she didn't think it was going to be sort of credible her testifying against him fair enough um so that was 1969 then move forward to 1975 on the 5th of july in keely anna rogal i'm so sorry was attacked by bolpeen hammer and when she was unconscious, a knife was used to slash her stomach open. Oh. The man doing it was disturbed by a neighbour, so he left. Anna survived, although was obviously very traumatised. Um, she received, like, help for it, but there was just no getting over it, really. Similarly, in August, in Halifax, um, Olive Smelt was struck from behind by a hammer and slashed with a knife just above her butt really so like lower back once again the man was interrupted uh, leaving olive injured and traumatized but alive 27th of august in silsden tracy brown was struck five times in the head on a country lane 
The attacker was interrupted by the lights of a passing car, leaving Tracy alive but requiring extensive brain surgery. Jesus. Yeah. 30th of October. Scott Hall in Leeds. Wilma McCann was a mother of four. She was hit twice with a hammer, then stabbed 15 times in the neck, chest and abdomen. 150 police officers and 11,000 interviews couldn't find the murderer. One of McCann's daughters killed herself in 2007 because of the lasting trauma. At the time, they thought that the next murder by the same person had happened in the 20th of January on 19, in 1976. Sorry, But there was another one in November 1975 in Preston. A woman called Joan Harrison, who was 26, also suffered at the hands of the Ripper. I think she died. I don't think it was just an attack. So the 20th of January 1976 in Leeds again. Emily Jackson was a 42-year-old woman who was soliciting because she really needed the cash. A man picked her up, drove her half a mile, hit her on the head with a hammer, dragged her into a rubbish yard, and stabbed her 52 times. Holy shit. In the neck, chest, and abdomen. That's excessive. With a sharpened screwdriver. Oh, my God. Yeah. It just kept getting worse. Yep. An impression of the man's boot was left behind on her thigh as he had stamped on it. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's gnarly, man. Yeah. 9th of May, Roundhay Park in Leeds. Marcella Claxton was a 20-year-old woman trying to get home from a party. She accepted a ride from a man but had to pee. When she stepped out of the car, she was hit with a hammer. She didn't die. However, she was pregnant at the time of the attack and subsequently endured a miscarriage. Hmm. 1977, 5th of February, Roundhay Park. Irene Richardson was a 28-year-old sex worker Maybe. Wikipedia said she was. Uh, the YorkshireRipper.com said that she wasn't. She was an unemployed mum of two. Her cause of death was the bludgeoning from a hammer. Once she was dead, she was mutilated by a knife. So same MO as the other ones. Um, but on this one, there were possible leads from the crime scene because there were tire tracks left at the scene. These didn't lead anywhere, though, because there were so many cars that it could have possibly matched. Yeah. So just kind of went nowhere 23rd of april bradford patricia atkinson a 32 year old sex worker and mother of three was killed in her own flat same mo as the rest police found a boot print on her pajamas 26th of june reginald street leeds jane mcdonald was just 16 when she was murdered she was a local shop assistant on her way home this is so sad yeah uh, this one just happened in July. I couldn't find the date. And Bradford, Maureen Long was seriously assaulted and left for dead when uh, the murderer was interrupted. There was a witness. However, the witness had misidentified the car of the murderer. 300 police officers collected 12,500 statements and checked thousands of cars, all to no avail. All to no avail. Nothing came of it. 1st of October, in the allotments near the cemetery, uh, the Southern Cemetery in Manchester. 20-year-old Jean Jordan, also a sex worker, was murdered. The murderer had given her a £5 note, presumably just before the murder when soliciting her, and realised it was traceable, so he returned to collect the evidence but couldn't find the note, so he mutilated her corpse and moved its location. Jean was discovered on the 9th of October, 
eight days after she was killed. That's so rough. By a dairy worker. That poor man. Yeah, right. I cannot imagine. Like, you just go to work. Not even a job that involves dead bodies or anything. And then you find, like, a woman that's been dead for eight days. Police found the £5 note in a secret compartment of her handbag and traced it back to branches of the Midland Bank in Shipley and Bingley. This narrowed down the investigation to 8,000 employees, but still nothing came of any of the 5,000 interviews. So. Damn. Yeah. By which time the police were getting so frustrated because they were coming up with all these leads and then it was either wrong or nothing was coming of it. Leads to nowhere. Exactly. 14th of December in Leeds, Marilyn Moore was attacked. She was another sex worker, but she survived and provided a description of the man to the police. There were also more tire tracks at the scene that matched the earlier attack, they said. So it is the same guy. 1978, 21st of January, Bradford. 21-year-old Yvonne Pearson was a sex worker from Bradford. She was repeatedly bashed in the head with a ball-peen hammer. The ripper jumped on her chest, stuffed horsehair in her mouth, and left her body. She wasn't found for two months. Oh my god. Also, a hammer is such a a brutal way of murder. There is some anger there. Yeah. Also, the stabbing's like... I mean, that's the MO. Smacking over the head with a hammer and then just... Go into town with a knife. Yeah. It's so unnecessary. I mean, obviously murder is unnecessary anyway, obviously, but like... Especially unmotivated like this. Yeah, but just to kill someone and then mutilate their corpse and like stamp on them is very aggressive, really. It's not slick. Like, I don't... Anyway. Yeah, it's not like calm and collected or anything. It's like it's not like I like to kill for fun. It's like you know, I'm really angry. Yeah, I'm killing for some kind of sick motive. I don't know. Yeah. Weird. So the 31st of January in Huddersfield, Helen Ritka was an 18 year old sex worker. She was hit five times in the head as she was leaving his car. Then he stripped her, except for her bra and polo neck jumper, which were hitched up above her boobs. Then repeatedly stabbed her in the chest. She was found three days later. Jesus. 16th of May, Manchester. 40-year-old Vera Millwood, who was a mum of seven, was killed in the grounds of the Manchester Royal Infirmary. That one hit home to me because I was so surprised. Like, you're, you're on the grounds of a hospital. Yeah, right. And there's a serial killer. It's crazy. Um, in 78, there was a copycat killer oh okay who was never found good are we not trying to find him don't know i don't know what the uh, this is what the website that i said looked into like a cover-up thing yeah they were going along the basis of what we think we know who the the copycat was and we think he wasn't so much a copycat but that he also did bits that are included in the ripper if that makes sense did they find this guy? Are you going to get to that or is it unsolved? The Yorkshire Ripper? Yeah. I'll get to it. Okay. Uh, the copycat was described as a stocky bearded Irishman, which went against what the um, the woman said that survived for the Yorkshire Ripper. So Yeah. In 1979, 4th of April, Halifax, Josephine Whitaker was a 19-year-old building society clerk who was attacked on her walk home. 
1st of September, Bradford. 20-year-old student Barbara Leach was murdered and dumped. The public were shook because it was the second murder of someone that wasn't a sex worker. So all women had to be afraid. Yeah, it wasn't just one one particular group of people. Yeah, exactly. 1980, 20th of August, Leeds. Margot Walls, a 37-year-old woman, was murdered. 17th of November, Leeds. Jacqueline Hill was a 20-year-old student who was murdered. Three more attacks. Abhadia Bandera, Leeds, on the 24th of September. Maureen Lee, Leeds University. She was an art student there and she was attacked on the uni. Uh, 25th of October. And Teresa Sykes, who was only 16, Huddersfield, 5th of November. On the 2nd of January, 1981, a man was stopped by the police with a 24-year-old sex worker in the car with him. She was named Olivia Reavers. The car was found to have false number plates and the man was questioned. He matched many of the known physical characteristics that had been uncovered. Police returned to the scene of the arrest the next day and found that the man had discarded a knife, hammer and rope when he said he was bursting for a pee. The man was Peter Sutcliffe, and on the 4th of January, 1981, he confessed to being the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, he just confessed straight up? Well, he was in custody, but... Yeah. Yeah. Sutcliffe calmly described all of the attacks and murders to the police, only showing emotion for Jane MacDonald, the 16-year-old. He claimed he committed these acts as he was the tool of God's will. He was found guilty. He was a tool, all right? (laughs) Oh, nice. He was found guilty and serves 20 life sentences in Broadmoor Hospital. He's here because although he was found sane at his trial, he has been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Also, before he was in Broadmoor, he was in a prison, uh, but he was stabbed in the face. Good. Twice by another inmate. (laughs) And people kept trying to kill him. So... Yeah. Just let him know. As well as um, his MO being that, he would also, like, rape the victims and... Yeah, I'd figured so much. Yeah, he was a bit of a douchebag, really. Yeah, an all-rounder. Uh, I'll give you a description on Sutcliffe. So he was born in Bingley in 1946 as a working-class Catholic... He was a loner, left school at 15, became a grave digger, got a really sick, macabre sense of humour. Like, he was just a bit not yeah. right. Um, he was married to Sonia Zerma from 1974 to 1994. So all through the killings, he was married. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, he looks a bit like he would have been in a popular 80s rock band. Like, proper handlebar moustache. You saw him earlier. Yeah, he'll be on the Instagram and Twitter and such. And he's a pretty generically attractive man. Yeah, he doesn't... Not that people look like, you know, serial killers, but you know when you see a photo of a serial killer and some of them just are looking a bit out of it? Well, that's how they get you, though. It is, yeah. All of the... It's like Ted Bundy. Yeah. Like, he was a pretty generically attractive man. You trust him. Yeah, exactly. So, you remember the £5 note trace? Yes. And about how they interviewed the men? Well, Peter was actually interviewed. But oh, he they was, just didn't catch him? He was discarded from the, the Ripper squad because um, when he wasn't mutilating the corpse, he was at a family party. 
So he went from, he realized he left the five pound note there at the party, left the party, mutilated her, then went back to the party. Oh my God. Yeah. Imagine being like a family member at that party and then realizing, you know, you're just chatting to like your cousin or something. Yeah. And then you find out that in between him going to the toilet, he was actually just mutilating a woman. That's It's fucking horrible crazy actually crazy in fact he was interviewed by police nine times oh my god they didn't catch him no so part of the reason that the police took so long to find out it was peter is because in 1979 there was a hoax a tape was sent to the assistant chief constable who was leading the investigation the tape contained a man's voice saying i'm jack I see you're having no luck catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George, but Lord, you're no nearer catching me now than four years ago when I started. Forensic linguists said that it was a host, a host, hoax, but everyone ignored them. In the end, the description that the forensic linguistics team gave um, was accurate of Sutcliffe, which gave this department more standing. It was like the first sort of breakthrough case for linguistics. Oh, wow. That's cool. At least something good came out of it. Well, I mean, yeah, if they'd have just listened to him, then... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The hoaxer turned out to be John Humble, who was charged with perverting the course of justice in 2005. That's always so weird, isn't it? When, like, someone tries to confess to something that they didn't do. Or, like, just infamy, isn't it? Yeah, leaves, like, like, letters, and they didn't even do it. Could you imagine being a killer who was doing stuff, you know, just the people just to get noticed, and then somebody else is sending in like letters? In it, you'd like, be livid. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd be wild. You'd be like, I'm putting all of this fucking effort in for you to come along, right? Livid. Um, but no, he. Well, he was an alcoholic. He was unemployed. Like he, I guess he just had nothing going on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not that that is anything you should do, even a bit. Oh no, those things aren't connected, but I know what you mean. He has. I guess it's just boredom to the nth degree. Yeah. And wanting to kind of. Boredom and sick sick interests. Yeah. It's it's weird and fucked up. And part of the reason that they took it so seriously is because he mentioned the Preston case that I said earlier. Right. That they didn't think was the the Ripper one to begin with, but then it was. Um, And the police thought that this was under wraps they didn't think anyone knew about the preston thing so when he mentioned it they were like oh my god it's him yeah yeah um and the hoaxer died on the 30th of july this year wow yeah um it also took so long because there was this huge like thing going on i doubt yorkshire police had ever had to deal with something on this scale before yeah you know like they did thousands and thousands of interviews and had thousands of suspects i don't think they'd ever had anything that big um as well as that it was all before computers and as well as that where it was so big they had like tips and phone-ins and everything coming in all the time loads of bits of information where everyone was just trying to be helpful yeah that there was too much to be sifted through really considered yeah yeah um at least he got caught yeah yeah definitely i can't imagine how scary it must have been being a woman at that time yeah because he was just so angry and people think that he he caught his wife cheating when they sort of first got together 
um and he was like well i'll get back at her started using prostitutes um then he gave this prostitute money she didn't sleep with him and instead just took the money and got his got her pimp to like deal with him oh so then he immediately was just pissed off at prostitutes yeah because you know how i said general with the first attack she was dealing with a, a guy who was looking for a woman who had ripped him off yeah i think that's kind of but there's no actual proof of it there's no evidence but it would make sense as to why he was such an angry man yeah it's interesting that he didn't kill his wife if he was mad at her but i guess that would have just drawn attention to him yeah and as well if you think about you know he went for people who were sex workers people who weren't ages from 16 to 40 odd he was quite clever in how he did it yeah not to give him any credit because the man's an asshole but it was quite no i I understand what you mean yeah he was not a good person but a smart person unfortunately but yeah at least how he got away with it for years yeah definitely and interestingly the three attacks on the women that i said at the end the art student and the two others he was going to court around that time because he'd been done on drunk driving i think so he was doing that when he was in and out of court that's so crazy on trial for something else (laughs) it's actually crazy yeah it's just god i can't believe they caught him to be honest I mean, it really is what what you hear about serial killers. You know, they 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 think they're so much smarter than everyone else that they just do it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, if you if you were worried about being caught, you know, if you thought that it could be possible that like, you would be caught, you wouldn't be this obvious. You know. Yeah. Exactly. And as well, it it draws attention away from you. Do you know what I mean? How many people are going to leave a family party to mutilate a corpse? How many people are going to attack women while they're on trial for something else? Yeah. Like, it really does take the heat off of you, even though you'd think that it wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Damn. Well, thank you for teaching me about that. There is some some good news to finish off. Oh, okay, cool. Um, on the Daily Mail, it says that he's haunted by the faces of his victims in his nightmares. Lovely. And has just weeks to live as he's struggling with his breathing, has high blood pressure and diabetes. Well, there we go. Yeah, I think that was from the 21st, 29th of October this year. So, yeah, just a few days ago. Damn. Yeah, so... Relevant case. Apparently so. <laughs> Didn't know that when I started, but yeah. I'll pretend I did. Wow. Well... Sorry for the downer. <laughs> no, it's fine. I guess, you know, at least he gets to see... At least he's haunted by yeah. the faces of the people that he killed for no reason, other than just anger. Yeah. I mean, at least he's not dead as well, do you know what I mean? Because that way, the families kind of get some like sort of... Justice. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no real good way about it, but... It's interesting that he's still alive. Like, I know this wasn't that long ago, but, you know, when you hear, like, oh, like, a ripper, you're like, this is ancient. Yeah. You could have never... It's like Jack the Ripper, but that actually was a long time ago. But, you know, you, no, you have this connotations that you... I think you always think that it's, like, a really old thing and, like, you know, a mystery. So it's cool that he's still alive and dealing with the consequences. Yeah, well, he's only, like, 73, I think. It's crazy. So, yeah, 
crazy what a douche canoe <laughs> yeah definitely that man is, is deserves awful awful things yeah well, oh. what a fun podcast this has been. Happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Have a, a spooky this celebration. Was a very particularly spooky episode, I think. Yeah, I think we did fine. <laughs> ah, there she is, Miss Optimistic. If I were to rate us, I'd say three out of ten. <laughs> Don't. No. Five out of five on iTunes. Five stars, so you should give us that. Yeah, but uh, let us know if you've enjoyed this this episode. Yeah. Let us know what you've been up to for Halloween. Uh, we now have a night ahead of us watching horror movies, eating popcorn, grabbing some chips, eating trick-or-treat candy because we don't have that many children here. So. Yeah, we bought extra, extra sweets and stuff just in case, but all for me. Yeah, I'm going to trick or treat at this house. <laughs> I'm just going to keep knocking on the door. <laughs> Spooks or poops? <laughs> Stop this! <laughs> Not again! <laughs> but, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks yeah, for listening. it's been good. If you want to email us, you can do that um, missmagicandmurder at gmail.com, just to put that out. Like, I don't think you mentioned it. And yeah, give us a, a like, follow us at missmagicpod on social medias. Go, Go check out the Cannabidial Farm. Yeah. Yeah, everything will be linked in the description and also in any social media post. So, yeah. Moral of the story is uh, don't get into random men's cars or go alone anywhere. Or if you move into a house, make sure that you fully check it out. Make sure that you're ready to move out immediately. Yeah, make sure that you have an exorcist on standby. Yeah. (laughs) Last piece of advice is don't listen before bed. (laughs) You should listen before bed.